wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to the difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Adelaide, South Australia. And I'll be your host for the program today. I haven't been on for a while, and so it's wonderful to be back. We want to welcome you to our program, wherever you may be joining us from right across Australia. Uh, right now, if you're not driving, if you're listening from the app or something, or if you're stationary, we'd love you to um, put our Faith FM giveaway number into your phone or to write it down on paper. Um, later in the show, you will want our SMS number to get our free giveaway. It's an incredible giveaway. Away. So please take out your phone now, put this number into your phone, so all you have to do is hit this number later on. Uh, the number is, our text line number is 4 That is 4 You need that number. Uh, so welcome to our Drive Time program. Our topic this week that we've been discussing is the fire of revival. Is it possible? And our question today is, is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church? Is there a spiritual cause to those problems? Our co-host today, as is the case all of this week, is uh, Lindy Sperring. Lindy is our prayer ministries coordinator for the Adventist Church in South Australia. Welcome, Lindy. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here, David. How do you find sitting on the other end of the table on radio? It's great in in lots of ways. It's hard to imagine that people are actually out there listening because you can't see them. I'm used to standing in front of people. But it's also exciting as well to think that, you know, people are listening and maybe they'll hear or gain something that will be a blessing to them. Yeah, absolutely. Lindy, you're our prayer ministries coordinator and you've always been a passionate, well, since I've known you, very passionate about prayer. Why? Sounds like a silly question, but why? I think I've always been passionate about it because I came to understand the big difference it makes in your spiritual walk when you have this intimate and personal relationship with God and where you are praying on a regular basis. Prayer is is like a powerhouse of energy, of of God's love, of God's power that can flow through our lives when we're connected to God. And when I came to understand that, probably in my early mid-twenties, I got really excited about it and wrote some prayer journals of encourage people in, in their prayer, uh, encourage prayer ministry, encourage prayer meetings, and not just dry sort of meetings where you just sit around and just talk, but Meetings where we can really, really intercede and pray for others. So yes, I do get excited about it. Lindy, I was with um, one of our, or two of our ministers today with an Aboriginal Bible study group, and uh, at the end of that group, um, uh, we'd prayed, and I went outside, and and this lady came up, and she was a Christian, uh, and um, she was a real pra- uh, prayer warrior and a faith person. She said, "Look, if I don't pray." In my home, she said she knows the devil will take over. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? Absolutely. But she said nothing happens without prayer. And so I prayed for her. And then when she prayed, I felt really humbled. It was just such a powerful prayer that she prayed. And I want to praise God for the prayer warriors in, in our congregations. Absolutely. And, and right across this nation. Uh, Lindy, um, we have some exciting news, breaking news. In fact, this is an exclusive 
to the Drive Time program. One of our hosts, Fabiano, uh, if you listen to the Drive Time program, as I'm sure you do, you would uh, know of Fabiano. He uh, typically hosts our program on a Thursday. And um, Fabiano's wife uh, gave birth to their third child today. Wonderful. So uh, if you want to give a shout out, if you want to send in a text message to wish Fabiano, Pastor Fabiano, all the best, he and his wife with their third child. Uh, just this afternoon, we received a photo of this beautiful little baby boy. So uh, listeners, we'd love to hear from you to wish Fabiano uh, some incredible uh, blessings and God's leading with this uh, little new addition to their family. Right now, though, we're going to come to our voluntary assisted dying bill. It's our World Watch segment, and the New South Wales Parliament has had a bill uh, which I believe either has been passed or is about to be passed. And um, I got this story straight off of the Eternity News uh, website uh, dated yesterday. So this is very fresh. And it's about the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill, or what they call VAD. And uh, I'm wondering, listeners, uh, and I'll say this at the end of this segment, I would really love to hear from you. What do you think about Voluntary Assisted Dying? Send us an SMS on 04888. 80811. What do you think about voluntary assisted dying? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love you to interact with us. And if you send through some messages, we may even be able to read some of those out. What are your th- thoughts regarding voluntary assisted dying? And what are your concerns? 04888880811. Send us a text message, an SMS. We would love to hear from you. So, Lindy, this, um, this article on Eternity News website is called Faith-Based Aged Care Providers Seek Conscientious Objection Clause in Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill. And it was written by Anne Lim. And it says this, I'll read some of the article. Faith-based providers of aged care in New South Wales are likely to seriously consider whether they can continue operating under a regime that forces them to facilitate voluntary assisted dying on their premises. Uh, and uh, this Anglicare gentleman, Andrew Ford, he began to talk in this article and he said the bill that was passed by the New South Wales Legisl- Legislative Council last week does not allow faith-based aged care facilities, facilities to opt out of the system. There is a clause that allows them not to administer the restricted drug, but they have to open up their premises to allow doctors to give advice, assessment and treatment to their residents. So here we have an organisation, and it wouldn't just be the Anglicans, that uh, don't believe in this, but it's mandated by law that they have to allow their facility to open up so that uh, doctors and specialists could come in and prescribe the, the drugs to aid in the death process, even though they won't have to do it themselves necessarily. This obligation would be removed um, under one of the nine amendments that, amendments that are due to be debated in the New South Wales Upper House tomorrow. So that's today. So obviously there are some um, changes that they're looking to make to this. I certainly think it changes the dynamics, and the question will be asked whether to continue in this sort of industry, Andrew Ford said. Ford, who is Anglicare's General Manager for Mission and Partnerships, said the lack of a conscientious objection provision was a serious concern for faith-based providers of not just aged care, but health care in general. And uh, this article continues. He says, It doesn't take into account that some people really don't want to be in places where health care providers can be assisting in death rather than assisting them in living well and as full a life as possible right up to the end, he said. 
There are some checks and balances which are very good, but we have an in-principle opposition to euthanasia. He said it was odd that a bill that promotes choice won't let providers make some choices. Now, I don't know about you, Lindy. Um, This is uh, quite significant, what he just said there. He said it's odd that a bill that promotes choice, in other words, choice for people to end their life, won't give a similar level of choice or won't give choice to the actual aged care providers. Well, David, we're seeing this in another number of areas in society currently. If you think about the Hippocratic Oath, it was to do no harm. Doctors were trained since the beginning of time to extend life, to bring healing and to do no harm. And here is a bill that is doing ultimate harm, really, because people then can have the right, if you like, to either request or doctors can even bring it up and talk to them about it. They may not even have considered that option. And so I do have a concern about this bill. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The article goes on. Um, The gentleman, the MP that introduced the bill to the New South Wales Parliament, Alex Greenwich, has said to Anglicare that one of his concerns, and I get this, is that if there's only one residential aged care home in a small town or rural setting, that if that home has a conscientious objection to voluntary assisted dying, a resident wouldn't have a choice, he said. But it would be a perverse outcome if the only home in that setting is run by a faith-based organisation and they decide because of this that they are no longer want to provide that service. Then it doesn't just affect the choice of that one person who may want voluntary assisted dying. It would affect the whole community's access to residential aged care. And um, so Andrew Ford says it doesn't take into account that some people really don't want to be in places where healthcare providers can be assisting in death. And I can understand that. I've worked in a a Christian-based organisation myself in aged care back in Melbourne and I've been with people who are dying and walked along that path with them and I would feel that many of the workers there, the staff, would be very uncomfortable knowing that that type of procedure, if you like, you could call it a procedure, would be going on in the facility. And you can imagine the... the trauma that this would cause another resident in a room next door or something or in a shared room or that um, this is going on or, or these conversations are happening, particularly if they have a religious conscientious objection approach to this and it's happening in a faith-based organisation. Mm. The uh, article goes on, the bill has the veneer of protecting aged care staff but in fact does the opposite as it forces them to choose between abandoning residents with whom they have a long-term caring relationship or violating their conscience by being involved in assisting in their death. If that's not a complete exemption, if there's not a complete exemption, there should be one that means they don't have to facilitate the act itself, said Michael Stead. A motion passed at the Anglican General Synod last week strongly opposed any legal obligation for faith-based organisations to facilitate support or permit euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide. Ideally, our motion is that the residential aged care facilities not be forced to facilitate voluntary assisted dying, and if there's not a complete exemption, there should be one that means they don't have to facilitate the act itself, Michael Stead, Bishop of South Sydney, told Eternity. They could allow other medical people to come in and do the preparatory stages and then facilitate the transfer at the end for the termination of life. That's the very minimum acceptable from the faith community's point of view, he said. 
And um, it's interesting. Uh, in this uh, bill that is, uh, is being discussed, it says there is no provision for a person's GP or family to be involved in any decision uh, to access uh, the voluntary assisted dying. So you could have a spouse, and according to the bill, according to this article, uh, the person's GP themselves uh, or family members can't have any, um, any decision-making in this process. That's unusual. What if the person has medical power of attorney for somebody else? Well, it said these that are the, override that yeah. as well. Oh, this is what the article is saying. These are the people who know the patient best. So there's a lot of concern that personal factors and the possibility that somebody may be feeling depressed or may be feeling coerced. There's nobody who knows the person well who has who has to be involved in the process, she said. It's interesting. I would have thought that so, the person... So, sorry, GP, Lindy. Yeah, sorry. I think I've read that wrong. It seems that the GP or the family don't have to be involved. So they could be involved, but they don't have to be. But I would have thought that the GP would have to do a referral if you're going to a specialist and you'd have to go to a specialist doctor who has the right to um, do this procedure, that I would have thought that they would have been involved from that right from the word go. So, And the challenge with this is, from what I read, you don't have to be a specialist to to have these conversations about voluntary assisted dying, which is really challenging. Um, in fact, one of the articles um, I'm now reading from the Sydney Morning Herald uh, yesterday, Sydney Morning Herald, if voluntary assisted dying is to be legalised in New South Wales, there's no room for error. And it was written by Marion Harris and John Obeid, and it uh, is basically against the bill in its current form. Three reasons. The first one is, the first is that no health professional should be allowed to raise or suggest voluntary assisted dying to someone who hasn't requested it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the law in Victoria and South Australia. Uh, it also says in New South Wales and the other states, doctors and other health professionals, even podiatrists, can raise voluntary assisted dying as long as other treatment options are mentioned. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were believed in this sort of thing uh, and... Uh, I don't think I'd be speaking to a podiatrist about uh, voluntary assisted dying, do you? No, I probably want to speak to my pastor. Absolutely, and and yet this is what we find uh, in this article from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, another um, uh, reason why they're against this, the second needed amendment is that a specialist in the person's illness must be involved to ensure that there has been appropriate assessment and consideration of all ab- available treatments and that the prognosis requirement has been met. In Victoria, one or two voluntary assisted dying assessors must meet the criterion. In New South Wales, even a specialist report stating that the patient satisfies these criteria could suffice. Uh, And it goes on to say, in times of emerging breakthrough therapies in medicine, no patient should be assisted to die without such specialist involvement. This must be mandatory as it should not be left to the discretion of assessing doctors who don't know what they don't know. How could New South Wales consider anything less for its citizens? And then finally it talks about how the current bill gives no right to institutional conscientious objection. And so these are some of the challenges that um, this bill uh, throws out there. From a Christian perspective, and I guess from a Seventh-day Adventist church perspective, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, has this to say in a statement uh, called A Statement of Consensus on Care for the Dying. And it says this. This is just a a couple of little paragraphs from it. 
It says, Christian love is practical and responsible. Such love does not deny faith nor obligate us to offer or to accept medical interventions whose burdens outweigh the probable benefits. For example, when medical care merely preserves bodily functions without hope of returning a patient to mental awareness, it is futile and may in good conscience be withheld or withdrawn. Similarly, life-extending medical treatments may be omitted or stopped if they only add to the patient's suffering or needlessly prolong the process of dying. Any action should any action taken should be in harmony with the divine principles regarding the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. Then it goes on, while Christian love may lead to the withholding or withdrawing of medical interventions that only increase suffering or prolong dying, Seventh-day Adventists do not practice mercy killing or assist in suicide. They are opposed to the intentional taking of the life of a suffering or dying person. And I recall my own uh, personal situation with my father uh, when he died in 2013. I was uh, called into the hospital. He was in the emergency department. And uh, basically, um, I was actually, I'd, I'd lived six and a half hours away. And I got there in time for the head of the department to come in. And, and they said to my father, they said, uh, listen, uh, Mr. Butcher, they said, uh, you understand we can't do anything more for you. And, and it was really good. My dad, my dad was cognizant. And uh, he said, I understand. And, and the doctor said, you've filled in this form, you've consented. And you went through that, you know, you don't want a feeding tube, you don't want any of these things. And to each of these questions, my father was able to say, yes, that is right. I'm at peace. And so to hear that from my father, so that would have only prolonged He didn't want to be sustained, but it certainly wasn't a voluntary assisted dying, by no means. And um, to the Christian, whatever happens, we have no fear of death because we know that Jesus is coming back to wake the dead. But I guess this article uh, and these articles, like all of these things, just show the uh, things that are coming along to inhibit uh, Christian beliefs, don't they? That's exactly right. So again, listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on voluntary assisted dying. What do you think about it? Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your concerns? Send us an SMS on 0488 It's now come time for some music, and uh, we are going to play a song by Caleb and Kelsey, 10,000 Reasons and What a Beautiful Name.
Jesus. So you've heard an ad for a great community event, but you missed the phone number. No problem. You can contact us anytime at faithfm.com.au and we'll get back to you with all the details. Welcome back to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A. My name's Pastor David. I'm with Lindy Sperring, the prayer coordinator for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. We have an incredible topic today, but I want to thank um, Margie for sending through an SMS. As I mentioned, hot off the press, exclusive news, one of our hosts, Pastor Fabiano and his wife, or it's actually his wife, they gave, she gave birth to their third child just this afternoon. So we will not hear uh, Pastor Fabio, Pastor Fabiano on air for the next couple of weeks. He'll be spending time with his wife and their new baby and they have two other children. So congratulations, Fabiano. And the message from uh, Margie is congrats to Fabi and his wife on the safe arrival of their third baby. Lots of love. Thank you, Margie. We really appreciate uh, you connecting with us and um, Wishing um, Pastor Fabiano uh, good blessings to him and his family. Thank you. So, look, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd like you to take out your phones. Uh, we're going to promote now our free book, our free giveaway. So we'd love you to... Uh, uh, to respond to this free offer. And all you need to do is to grab your phone. The book is Steps to Personal Revival. And, Lindy, this is a really good book, isn't it? Very, very good. Amazing book that's gone right across the world and printed in many languages. And it really spells out the importance of the continual work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Absolutely. The other thing I like about it, it's easy to read and it's not too thick. It is easy to read. <laughs> so, look, uh, we'd love you to grab your phone uh, and to get this offer, you need to text the code SA45. That's SA45 to our number 04888-80811. That's 04888-80811. And the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking for your details. So the text code word is... SA45. That's the letters SA and the number 45 to 04888-80811. And we'd love to hear from you as we go throughout this presentation just to get your thoughts. If you have questions, whatever it is you may have, feel free to contact us and we'd love to engage with you. So that's an incredible free book. Uh, our message today is The Fire of Revival, Is It Possible?, and um, the specific question, Lindy, that we're looking at today is, is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church? Now, Lindy, this is a, a, a topic that you're passionate about, and you are, I believe, are a speaker for this particular ministry as well. Um, talk to us, Lindy. Um, is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church today? Well, let me ask you, David, have you ever had problems in any of the churches that you've been a pastor in? Uh, I would like to say never, but uh, that would be lying, and we shouldn't do that. I think, Lindy, wherever there are people, there is clearly going to be problems, aren't there? Absolutely. But Absolutely. It's, but, but what you don't want to find, particularly when new people come into a church, there is this often this um, uh, assumption, almost naivety in a, in a good way, that, hey, Christians will be different. That's right. 
and people can be disappointed. I know that you and I and probably Pastor Gary and others that are hosts on this program have visited churches and you walk in and there's, there's a coldness. There's a, nobody makes eye contact. Perhaps nobody's talking to you. You're not made to feel welcome. And then there are other churches that have actually learned how to be more welcoming, like you can if you work on a Myers counter. You can learn how to welcome customers and make them feel important and show them your stock. And then sometimes in our churches, we can go in and we can find, yes, they're very friendly at the door, but then after that, not much else happens. There's not much engagement. You're not perhaps invited into a class or a group or an event or a meal. Almost like there's a barrier. There's a barrier. I remember, Lindy, um, when I first uh, moved to minister in this current role in South Australia, um, in that first year, I went to one particular church and uh, it was uh, quite a way, uh, quite a number of hours drive out of Adelaide and never been there before. And I'd heard about what had been happening in this church. There was uh, evangelism happening in the community. The church had come together for a number of weeks, if not months, in regular prayer. And I hadn't been there. I'd heard of things. And when I walked into that church in in a small city of about 15,000 people, there was something happening in that church. Okay, you sensed it in your spirit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and, And not just within me. But you could tell the way people inter- interacted with each other, but also with with, your, with myself. And so, yeah, there is something different when the Holy Spirit is working within a community. And it's interesting, David, because you said before, like, sometimes there's, there's groups and human behavior uh, can affect our relationships. And if I've heard any criticism against a church in my time, it's always been about people aren't friendly or they're critical and a lot of people who leave churches and stop attending churches have been hurt by comments or attitudes or other things and there must be some reason why this is happening you know we we want to have a christian behavior we want to act towards others in an appropriate way we want to welcome them in we want to have joy perhaps there's something that is missing missing and there's a spiritual cause for the problems in our church. You know, the Bible does does give us some answers. And in Romans 8, 5 to 7, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we can see that there's... There's a different way, if you like, to be a Christian. And if you look at what the Bible says, it says that there are three different types of attitudes, if you like, that we can have towards God and and obviously towards the Holy Spirit. I don't know, you would remember Dwight Nelson. He's an American evangelist. Yes. And he says, our churches are so good at, at doing programs and planning and and doing all sorts of forms and, and administration, but... That can take up a lot of our, of our time. You'll find if you talk to nurses and the police and other people in all sorts of administration, paperwork can take up so much of their time, they have little time left to actually do what they're meant to be doing, like nursing and policing and teachers will say that there's so much more paperwork. So much red tape. So much red tape. And in a church that can happen too. We're so busy doing all of these programs, but we're missing something that's so important. And... It's very sad because that's the way people fall away from the church. They lose their hope and faith that that godly people have something to offer them. What have godly people got to offer me? So these three types of attitudes that the Bible talks about is the natural man 
We'll talk about man as in mankind here. So the natural man, what might the natural man be like, David? Yeah, the natural man is essentially uh, someone that um, basically has no relationship with God at all, That's no right. no connection, uh, and and not really, I would suggest, even any profession uh, of of saying I want to follow God. Probably never even thinks about God very much at all, and may just be the only time God comes out of his mouth or mankind's mouth is when he's using it in a slang or an a expletive. swearing way. An expletive. And how often does that happen? All the time. And, and so, time. Lindy, um, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it talks about the natural man, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. He says it does. the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He thinks they're foolish, and nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And I've said many times when I've been speaking that the Word of God, the Bible, is spiritually discerned. You could just pick it up, but unless you've got your ask the Holy Spirit to guide you or you have some, you know, if it's the first time you've ever picked it up, you may sense there's something about it. And it's because it's a living word. It's not just a book with words in it. It's a lie. And people have read the scriptures as as um, a particular genre and they're looking at it from, from that perspective. Uh, other people look at it for statistics or facts and figures, and it has no life in it for that, does it? That's right. It doesn't until the Holy Spirit's involved in in the understanding. And, and Jesus spoke in parables often, didn't he, David, because he didn't necessarily want everyone else to understand what he was trying to say. He wanted you to search for it, uh, understand it more through a story like almost like inside information sometimes. Yeah, and so spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And you said earlier that text uh, in First Corinthians two, verse fourteen, that um, these things are foolishness to the natural man. That's right. And I think we live in an era where this is really prevalent, isn't it? Um, you have uh, such things like you know religion's got to be kept out of of Parliament. They shouldn't be. We shouldn't talk about religion when it comes to politics. They shouldn't be even included. In that, it's almost like, well, religious things are folly. Don't mix them with science because we can trust that. Don't mix them with politics because religion shouldn't be even, there shouldn't be any laws for religion because it's just some folly thing. And yet our laws are based on the commandments to a large extent. And this is the great Southland. Australia was settled by Christians who wanted to have a country where there was freedom of religion, there was a democratic society, and a lot of uh, the democratic principles have come from the Bible. So we've looked at the, the natural man, but there's also within the church the flesh or carnal man that Paul talks about. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 4. And this is where Paul's talking to the Corinthian people and he's saying to them, I can't speak to you as spiritual people, this is in my own words, because you're like babes in Christ. I've fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were unable to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. So here he is saying to this church in, in Corinth that, you know, you... I can't speak to you really strongly spiritually because you're, you're still carnal. Because, and this is very interesting, and I've seen this in churches that I've attended, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So here's a bit of a clue, isn't it, that sometimes churches or, or any spiritual group, even in a Christian workplace, there can be envy, strife, and divisions. And yet Paul is saying that you are carnal when you are like that. You are fleshly when you are like that. So we have the natural man or the natural person, which 
doesn't even profess any um, spiritual um, connection. That's right. But then we have the carnal man, mm. and this is quite disturbing. Well, it is because we can be that person. We can be operating in, a, in the flesh. So you were saying, you know, and I'm sure our listeners would have seen this in some churches they've been in. Absolutely. And yet we're not meant to look at others and judge them. We're meant to actually reflect on ourselves. How are we behaving and what sort of attitudes are we showing to others? So Paul addresses carnal people as dear brothers, so it shows that he's dealing with church members. They were either not filled with the Holy Spirit or not sufficiently filled. He needed to talk with them like they were babes in Christ, like just at the beginning when you're a babe in Christ and you don't know some things. So I think sometimes carnal Christians feel dissatisfaction. They're disappointed with life. They feel they don't have a purpose. They perhaps feel like their prayers aren't even answered and that that anything that they are doing is not really making a difference and furthering God's kingdom. And so here's Paul saying, you know, these carnal Christians, I can't share with them the deeper things, the deeper spiritual things. And sometimes I think a carnal Christian will say, and I've actually heard people say this, we're just sinners and we can't do anything to change that. Yeah, and and look, it really resonated with me what you said. Um, these people can be members of the church. They could have been members of the church or attending the church for years, couldn't they? Absolutely. And still be carnal Christians. So it's almost like um, there is a lack of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. There is um, almost like it's rote what they're doing or fulfilling some ritual. Yes, Yes, it's their culture, perhaps. There's their a lot. There's some life missing. There's something missing. There's something missing, and I know in my own life I realised that something was missing, and I I got pretty excited when I saw that some of the burdens that I'd been carrying I didn't need to carry. That God was going to carry those burdens. Sin is God's problem. It's not my problem. And I can't solve the sin problem. That's really good, isn't it? And when we realise it's God's problem, that God acted. And is acting in that. He died on the cross for us, but he's still working on our behalf. That Amazing. takes some of that burden away. And when we talk about Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, he was a God who was willing to become like us and take on flesh and be a man to give us life abundant for now and life eternal for eternity. So, you know, I think it would be very sad if we stayed in that carnal Christian place. I don't want to be a fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty two to 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, here's Jesus saying, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wouldn't that be such a tragedy to think that you're a Christian, you believed in God, you were going to church, you were doing all the programs and the proformers that you felt that you were meant to do, but you missed out because you had something missing. So G- Jesus here is saying these people are carnal Christians, in other words, in this category, if you like. The natural man, no, no professed spiritual connection whatsoever. Mm. In other words, they're honest. They live up to what they say. Yes, a carnal Christian says, I'm a Christian, but it's a form of religion rather than a living religion. And, and, and yet these people are active. 
That's right. Uh, and they may not even realise, David, that the state that they're in, I don't think I realised the state I was in. I knew I was struggling. But Jesus isn't Lord of your life if you are carnal and operating in the flesh. So if you're listening to this and you're out there and think you might fit into this category, they need to... You need to keep listening because this is for you. Um, there is an answer to this, which we'll get to, but not yet. I, I'm amazed, as as Jesus says here, um, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are people that are prophesying in the name of Jesus. They're, they're casting out demons. They've done many miracles. In other words, they've got all the ex- many of the external signs, if you like, that would would seem to show Absolutely. that there is a living connection. Absolutely. And yet, as you said, Lindy, uh, verse 23 of chapter 7 of Matthew, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I'm not sure if I can divert. Can I divert as the host? Yes, absolutely. Let's go to Matthew 25 because I think um, – I hope we're not stealing another program. Matthew 25, we have the parable of the ten foolish ladies. We're talking and about that tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, well, uh, well, we can okay. touch on it. We'll touch on it. The Greek word for foolish here, um, the root of it uh, is moros, which is where we get the word moron from. Okay. So you've got ten wise and ten foolish. Ten wise and ten morons. Ten morons. Is that what you're saying? And they don't have to be women, right? We have moronic men and moronic women. Yes. And and all of these ten profess to be in a relationship with, with the bridegroom. They're waiting right. for him to come. That's right. So these are carnal Christians as well. It would seem if we look at this all together, it's like a tapestry of the Bible. I said that on Monday, I said it yesterday, I say it today. As it comes together, this is amazing picture emerges. But you're going to deal with this more tomorrow. We are going to look at it tomorrow. Well I'll back out of that now. No, that's so fine. keep going. That's fine. Um just, I wanted to just share a little story of Hudson Taylor. Most people know he was a missionary to China and he, he started to pour out his life bathed in prayer, honoring Christ at every opportunity. And he popularized that term, the Great Commission, David. I don't know if you realize. We, no, I wasn't. We as Seventh day Adventists often talk about the Great Commission. He popularized that term and he wanted to obey Christ in all things. And he went to work for a doctor in England. This is before, obviously, he went to China. He's well known for China, but before he went to China, he was in England and he was working for a doctor and he had to budget very carefully because the doctor was only going to pay him once every three months, once a quarter. And the doctor was very busy and said to Taylor, you better remind me when I need to pay you. Well, that's a little bit embarrassing, isn't it? It would be. And he decided he was just going to pray about it and, and not bring it to the, uh, not ask the doctor. So he was praying and praying and payday approached. But it didn't happen. Five days passed, then two weeks. And after paying all these monthly bills, all that he had left was one coin. So he was pretty, he was pretty broke and he was already living in a very, um, lower class area just to save money. So he thought he'd better pray harder. And he went to church one day and after the service, he was stopped by a desperate man whose wife lay dying. And he said, please come and pray for my wife, sir. He was very upset, this, this husband. And Hudson followed him. And when he arrived, he found four emaciated children standing in the corner, a dying mother with a helpless infant in her arms. And he was heartsick and silently cried and think, thought, if I only had a shilling or two instead of this one single corn, I'd gladly give them some of my money. 
But he knelt down to pray, but the words caught in his throat because he could hear God chastising him. Do not mock God. Dare you kneel down and call him Father with that half crown in your pocket? So feeling ashamed, he finished the prayer. He gave them the money, the last bit of money he had, and he went home in peace. The next morning when he opened his mail, he had four times the offering to the family from the night before. And his faith for finances was established that day. And some days later, the once desperate husband came to see him and said his wife was completely healed. She'd been dying and she was completely healed. And without being reminded, the doctor paid Taylor's salary by the end of the week. And so Hudson realized if we are faithful to God in little things, we will gain experience and strength for the more serious trials of life. So I just wanted to share that that story. That's good, Lindy, and we'll unpack that very shortly. We're going to dive to a break very soon. But I just want to encourage our listeners again, our free offer is Steps to Personal Revival. And this book has changed countless lives. Uh, in fact, some well-known evangelists, uh, I've read stories where they hadn't heard about this book. They'd been preaching and doing some incredible things for years. And one particular evangelist got given this book and he said it really changed his ministry. It changed his prayer life. It impacted him so much. So our special offer is Steps to Personal Revival. I know you will want this book. So please Please text the code SA45 to our number 11 04888808811 and the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking for your details. So text the code word SA45, that's the letters SA and the number 45 to 04888808811 to get this incredible free giveaway Steps to Personal Revival. Lindy, we must go to some music. We're going to hear from Melissa Otto and Blue Sky.
you're listening to Drive Time with Gary right here on Faith FM. Actually, you're listening to Drive Time with Pastor David, but uh, Gary is in the studio. He is sitting very quietly, like a mouse, which is unusual for Gary, and I'm glad he's here. You've heard of the comforter that is there to assist you, and Gary's sitting by my side. I'm sitting in his chair, Pastor David, and uh, Gary is guiding me through hosting and running the equipment. So if there are any issues, we apologize. But uh, Gary's doing an incredible job. He's the silent partner today. But my co-host is Lindy. Lindy's our prayer ministries coordinator in uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. Lindy, um, I want to promote this book again because it is a really good book. It's called Steps to Personal Revival. And uh, we'd love you to get this free offer. You just need to uh, send uh, a text message to 04888-80811. That's 04888 80811 using the code, text this code SA45 and uh, our uh, Faith FM bot will ask you some questions and that book will come to you, Steps to Personal Revival. A powerful book, isn't it, Lindy? Absolutely. I can highly recommend it. I know so many people whose lives have been transformed and changed and even leaders, spiritual leaders, pastors who testify that when they read that book, they read it again and again and they just found such a difference in their ministry and the way they felt and the way they spoke and treated others and they were just really inspired. So, Lindy, you've shared with us um Three types of, of, of individuals that this book points out. There is the natural man, and the natural man is... He's a man who doesn't, or mankind, who doesn't really have anything to do with God. He's out in the street. He doesn't think about God, attend church, pray. just doesn't have a relationship with God. And then uh, what I find quite disturbing is uh, what uh, the Apostle Paul calls the carnal man or the carnal person. Now, that's worrying. It is a... I suppose Paul is trying to show the difference when he's speaking to the the new Christians that there are two types of people in the church. There can be a, a carnal, fleshly type of person or there can be a spiritual person. And if we go back to Romans 8, 5 to 7, it says in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. That's pretty serious. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then it goes on to say because the Carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. And then it goes on, sorry, in 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And that's a really important part of this message today, Pastor David, is that there's a spiritual person that Paul is talking about as well. And... This is what we want to touch on now, and this is going to be unpacked in the coming weeks, isn't it? But but talk to us about the spiritual person, Lindy. Well, a spiritual person is a person, let's look at the what happened at Pentecost. You know, the disciples were fighting and, and, and rivaling each other to be the, the best in the kingdom that they thought was going to come in Jerusalem and that Jesus would take it on then. And so it was only when they came together as one, and they spent a lot of time in prayer. And I imagine there was some forgiveness that had to happen between those those proud men and some humbling of their hearts because their leader had been crucified and then he'd left them, he'd gone. And so something happened. They were transformed and the Holy Spirit came in a powerful way so that hundreds were converted. You know, Henry T. Blackaby expressed this. He said, he, God, 
could do more in six months with the people that are devoted to him than we could do in 60 years without him. And so, you know, I've, um, I've been around and ministered at, at churches here in South Australia and some in Victoria. And I know that when I go to a church, David, that I need to be in prayer more before that visit and my husband as well. I need to spend time in prayer so that when I'm there, my ministry is not just words, but it is, has an impact on other people's lives. And so, I need to, it's not about what I say, David. It's about me saying, God, can you come and live inside of me? We, we sort of minimize often at times, don't we, the, the power of prayer. And I'm drawn to that text, Acts 1 8, where Jesus, just before he ascends into heaven, his disciples are around him and he says to them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Absolutely. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. What I love when he says, but you shall receive power, the Greek word there is dynamis, uh, which is where we get the word dynamite from. Now, it's power. Mm-hmm. But there are other alternate variable um, um, translations of that word dynamis. They can include the ability and capability. So if I was to read that verse again, Jesus says, but you shall receive ability or capability when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And and I think this is what we're talking about. We can do ministry. We can do Christianity in its lifeless forms, but we need the ability and the capability and the power of, of a, of God, of the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts. And, And I believe that's what changes someone from a carnal Christian to a spiritual Christian. Absolutely. And it's hard to even quantify the change, but things that people would notice when they are willing to surrender their lives and their hearts and every part of their thinking to the Lord is that they will have joy like they haven't had. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy, this joy that flows through you. I can remember being by beside a dying saint back when I worked as a chaplain in aged care and this love for this person, I didn't really know her very well. Her son had taught me, but this overwhelming love seemed to flow through me to her that sort of brought comfort to her. And um, even the other chaplain and nurse that were there, they sensed something, some power there. And I know I knew it wasn't me. And so as I've wanted to grow, draw closer to the Lord, I've seen him working in my life in a different way. And so all those people who are listening – Sometimes people will say, oh, no, I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. But it's actually not about us. It's about the Holy Spirit living in us and working through our lives. All we need to say is that I'm a willing vessel, Lord, for you. So what you're really saying is the Holy Spirit is not a squatter. He won't live in our lives without our permission. Absolutely not. And, and in so, fact, we talked about it yesterday about and Monday as well, ask, seek, knock. Jesus' disciples said, how do I pray, Lord? And he showed them through the, um, the prayer and through the parable of the man needing bread, bread of life, and then ask, seek, knock. How much more will God want to give his Holy Spirit than a parent wants to give their children gifts? Mm. A beautiful promise to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to ask. And we it's not a one-off see. asking, is it? It's continual, just like we, we drink water every day. We need food, sometimes not every day, but we do need food to live. 
We need to spiritually be connecting to God. I'm not saying that you should just every morning say, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. But if your heart is open to that, you're saying, Lord, live in me. Lord, I need you today. Lord, I need you to guide me to people who might need a word from you. Like yesterday I said that I was convicted to ring somebody and just to encourage them. And they said, you're the second person today and I haven't heard from anyone for so long. And I, and he said, why, why did you do that? I said, I just got this conviction. I just knew I had to ring you and encourage you. So really this is about an emptying mm-hmm. of self yes. and a filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's a continual process. Absolutely. And it's the best joy and the most amazing walk you can have as a Christian. So a carnal Christian could have had that experience and may have that experience at times, but it's not a fresh, it's not fresh water. It's not a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Well, you jumped ahead to tomorrow when we're talking about the, the parable of the foolish and wise virgins, the morons, as you call them. And it's, you know, they've had some measure of the Holy Spirit, but something is missing. Hey, look, Lindy, that is uh, really fascinating. And this is a crucial topic because um, none of us want to be a carnal Christian, but it's so easy to slip into that. Lindy, I'm wondering whether you would pray for our listeners and particularly pray, Lord, for, for those of us that that may realize perhaps that we're carnal Christians or maybe we don't yet realize that and, and yeah, pray, for, pray, for, pray for people out it there. It would be my privilege. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord of heaven and earth, We thank you so much that you didn't just abandon us here on this earth, but that your son Jesus came and lived amongst us. He died amongst us and he rose again amongst us and is in heaven with you. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that this teaching will become clear in our minds that we don't want to, as Christians, be carnal, fleshly Christians. We want to be spirit-filled and spirit-driven And we want to have love for others through the Holy Spirit living in us. We want to experience that joy and peace in the times we're living in when so much anxiety and fear and depression has hit society after the lockdowns and all the troubles, Lord. We recognize that we have an even greater need of you, Father. So I pray that we will humble ourselves not just once, not just twice, but every day humble ourselves before you and seek the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then there will be a transformation and a change and people will be drawn to the Lord like never before for this great revival that we long to see. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Looks like our time is up for today. Thank you for joining um, myself, Pastor David and Lindy. Join us tomorrow when Lindy will continue this series on spiritual revival. And tomorrow's topic, Lindy, if I put you on the spot, do you know what it's called? Yes, I do. I have all Carnal Christianity, is it possible? Yes, or how does Christ illustrate carnal Christianity? It's it's another way of saying it. But yes, carnal Christianity, it seems like an oxymoron, but is it possible? So we hope you can tune in then tomorrow afternoon. But in the meantime, please remember Christ said these words, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.